Four. Duck your head and seek cover from Nick Palmgarten's piece in The New Yorker, unlike any other, The Mythology of the Masters. Sadly, this treatment, like the Masters itself, particularly the mythology of the Masters, has become anything but exceptional. Nick is all about the subtext here and makes the astonishing assertion that Tiger's miraculous victory recently at the Masters might trigger a certain ruefulness. Let's hear it, Nick. Fans and commentators spoke of Tiger's miraculous comeback. Mostly in their telling, and certainly in his, what he'd come back from was debilitating back pain and other injuries, rather than the collapse of his marriage, his public image, or his emotional well-being. But it was all there as subtext. Knowing what we do about America's capacity for forgiveness or for willful forgetting, we can maybe allow, with some ruefulness, that the restoration of his body was more astonishing after all. A few weeks later at the White House, Trump draped the Presidential Medal of Freedom around Wood's neck. The ribbon got twisted, and no one thought to straighten it out. Hmm. Nick, I'd like to give some thought to what appears twisted in your piece and is a matter of utter rue and needs some straightening out. Inside tidbits about Augusta National always fascinate, and you deliver the goods. Your treatment of those hallowed grounds is loving, fawning. The gold standard of running a golf course. How can you find fault with this place? The standard for etiquette. Ha! One wonders if the chairman at Augusta had final approval here. One hopes. And you manage to drag Trump into the mix, to flesh out the tiger phenomena of all things. Huh. Let's parse this a bit. The election of Trump will live as a singular aberration in the landscape of American history. It remains incomprehensible to many. What rankles more so, if possible, is the normalization of Trump. His time as president will come to an end. The imprint of his presidency, like his Supreme Court nominations, will live on. All that he champions and embodies, from his conspiracy theories to white supremacy, have moved from fringe National Enquirer fodder to acceptable, legitimate points of view. Systemic racism remains a stubborn presence in our political, cultural world. No, the election of Obama did not erase this scourge. No more than did MLK's efforts or LBJ's signing of civil rights legislation. Trump was impeached. Were it possible to delouse the system of racism? Let's make our efforts. The many tentacles of systemic racism need to be spotted, addressed, rebuffed. These guys can be subtle. They blend neatly into the landscape, often getting implicit validation without paying any real dues. Vigilance is required. That was particularly true prior to Trump. The normalization of Trump has critically set the process back. Mandatory efforts to establish a sense of fair-mindedness in all things political, eh, Hillary lied to, have resulted in cover and legitimacy for racist ideology. Far from good. I submit that Nick Palmgarten's, unlike any other, is a subtle, sinister, nasty tentacle of systemic racism. How so? 
In short, Nick does two things here. He highlights in near-reverent, cult-like tones the phenomenon of the masters, while attempting in crude, callous fashion to put Tiger Woods in his place. Sure, he chronicles the quirky, near-obsessional attention to detail and tradition witnessed at Augusta, and even briefly acknowledges certain racist features in club lore, albeit in a historical context, that renders such things near anachronistic. Not so fast, Nick. The racial calculus at Augusta is far from anachronistic. In the 1920s, Bobby Jones was a rock star. Babe Ruth challenged him for the top spot. Golf was coming into its own, and Bobby Jones was a glamorous champion. Idolized, lionized, faultless, wholly wholesome, considered a true gentleman athlete. This was the image sold to the public. It made for great press and an inspiring narrative. Unblemished, untainted, untarnished, Jones embodied everything we hope to see in our star athletes. Humble and graceful. Nick bought it. Mr. Subtext settled for the press releases when it came to the co-founder of Augusta National. He was far more scrutinizing when it came to Tiger. For much of the 20s and some of the 30s, the, the celebrity status of Bobby Jones would rival that of Tiger Woods, circa the past 20 years. We're talking worshipful stuff. Comparisons of the two are inevitable. Palmgarten acknowledges a lack of acquaintance with the golf world, suggesting that a somewhat naive take might be fresh, unvarnished, unprejudiced. Huh. I submit that his uncertain grasp of the gestalt of golf exposes a blind spot in his piece. We might examine differences or contrasts in the Bobby Jones v. Tiger Woods files to some effect. Such an exercise pales before the fact that both are unreservedly, okay, unruefully, deserving of the hero worship and adulation they've garnered. Why? How? I'll tell you in four little letters. Golf. The impossibility of golf. The elusive, beguiling quality of this game. Much like life itself, we're all there. Few to none get it right, or even close to right. What activity could so captivate two characters as disparate as Trump and Obama? Few will have the pleasure or pain of losing a set to Roger Federer or being struck out by Nolan Ryan. Any one of us can look the gods of golf squarely in the eye and say, fuck you, let's go. The full aesthetic of golf is at hand. It's there for you. It's a personal thing, a quest, a matter of engagement. There are no limits. Nick has not experienced this engagement. He doesn't get it. No one masters this game. No one. And I use the term masters most pointedly. Bobby Jones and Tiger Woods have been exceptional, the best in their eras, geniuses of golf. The hero worship, the idolatry has been earned, deserved. Nick's take seems to be that Tiger's sexual patterns or abuse of pain pills is the true Tiger. That the Tiger persona is fraudulent. That we Tiger fans are bamboozled, blind to the real deal, unable or unwilling to discern that twisted ribbon. The subtext-seeking, metaphoric Palmgarten somehow overlooks the central theme 
in the narrative of Augusta National. That would be the name of this benighted tournament, the Masters. Yes, the Masters. The blatancy, the obnoxiousness, the derision, the outright effrontery contained in this designation takes some deft sidestepping to miss. Nick Palmgarten manages this maneuver. He allows for a passing mention of the naming of the tournament, noting that Bobby Jones thought the Masters too grandiose a title. That's it. We get, all, we get all the way to the bottom of the story of the striking blue hue in Ike's Pond, but nothing more to do with the stridently symbolic titular The Masters. Too grandiose? What the hell does that tell us? Bobby Jones was a golfer. He knew damn well that golfers do not master this game. The Masters does not refer to the players. What then does the Masters refer to, Nick? Is it the obviousness or the sordidness of the answer that triggers your avoidance? Or maybe the obvious sordidness? Just doesn't fit neatly into the pristine narrative of Augusta you've painted? Er, shall we say, whitewashed? So, who did name this thing the Masters, and why did he insist on this moniker? The personage was one Clifford Roberts, the co-founder of Augusta National with Bobby Jones. Cliff worked his way up to being a Wall Street investment broker, and Lore would have it that Cliff handled the money side of things while Bobby covered the golf. Not exactly. Roberts lost much of his modest fortune in the crash, and it was Bobby Jones who put up the seed money for Augusta National. Cliff was the brains of the outfit, the idea man, the planner, the closer. The land was purchased from a slave owner. The land housed slaves. Cliff was all over this. Cliff was fixed on calling his tournament the Masters. It was inspired. Palmgarten goes to great lengths to humanize Cliff Roberts. His hard scrapple upbringing, a financially unreliable father, etc., etc. The pain, the privation endured by all. Cliff persevered and made himself a success. Hooray! Nick does make the seemingly penetrating observations that Cliff was a flinty, fastidious martinet, that he was a hero worshiper who ingratiated himself to such figures as Jones and Eisenhower and made his mark by proving himself indispensable to them. His weirdly exacting, demanding perfectionism in all things related to the masters are viewed as quaint rather than offensive. Nick goes right to the top of the golf world for character references on Roberts. Nicholas opines, I never knew him to do anything that was not in the best interest of Augusta National. Two things. Everything and anything to do with the Masters, from its inception in 1934 until Robert's death in 1977, was the brainchild of Cliff and controlled by Cliff. We can just hear the unctuous Jim Nance utter yet again, a tradition unlike any other. Secondly, this is not merely a golf tournament. It is a socio-cultural event, a statement. Nick hits this theme repeatedly, and yet somehow fails to flesh out this issue to any meaningful extent, perhaps purposely. The Masters is a song of the South. Robert's hyper-focus on codes of conduct and etiquette does not appear to reflect deep-seated personality tendencies. Far from it. 
Cliff and his brother beat up the high school principal before Cliff left school, striking out on his own, that the masters would embody a dream of a bygone America of good manners, hovers somewhere in the region of irony, trending towards dissembly. One of the many testimonials Palmgarten features, the respect for the grounds and the reverence for the event permeates us as human beings, and we thereby disseminate that respect to our peers. It's a beautiful thing. It restores my faith in humanity. Huh. Forget irony. This drives us straight off the cliff into duplicity. Appearance, tradition, order, the code at the masters, all cloaked in a secrecy held sacrosanct by Roberts? Who gets in the club? Who doesn't? Roberts rules. Few knew. Few know. Hush, hush. The sub-air systems, the dyed water, the piped-in bird calls, etc. The veneer of a pristine, bucolic setting. Is it real? Is it genuine? What is the true modus operandi? Don't go there. This is the South. Appearance, tradition, order are all that matter. This is a private club. It's none of your business. If you don't like it, stay the hell out. Roberts rules. Nick Palmgarten's, unlike any other, let well enough be when it comes to the code. Let's not what let well enough be. In short, it sucks. Clifford Roberts was an old-school racist, died in the wool, hardcore, a standout as such, even for his time. Why go there, you ask? It's a tired, tiresome subject that failed to gain much traction then and struggles to gain some now. An historical anomaly, an historical reality. Yesterday's news. Wrong. Again, the Trump election, the normalization of Trump, white, suprem white supremacy. We are knee-deep in this shit. It hasn't gone away. To humanize Roberts is akin to asking the penetrating, meaningless question, what conceivable background produced Trump? Does it really matter? Who cares? Augusta National was developed as a refuge, a sanctuary for wealthy white males of the right persuasions and connections to enjoy the game of golf. In an environment preserved, unhassled, let's allow Cliff to set the stage. As long as I live, there will be nothing at the Masters besides black caddies and white players. Hmm. Palmgarten doesn't omit this telling tidbit, but he does couch it in an historical context not attempting to mine the depth and breadth of the racist current that enlivens these grounds. Let's see. Only white players and black caddies. The masters, indeed. When challenged about these grotesquely racist rules of having only white members and golfers and only black caddies, Roberts countered, To make an exception would be practicing discrimination in reverse. Huh? So he's saying that to allow black members or players and white caddies would be discriminating against the racist line? Huh. His thinking might help illuminate another dodgy tradition at the Masters. Black caddies were made to wear a uniform consisting of a white jumpsuit and white tennis shoes. So blacks had to do the heavy lifting as a matter of tradition and order, but would appear as white as possible. Not to, not to besmirch the grounds. Something profoundly rancid lies at the root of the masters 
and Nick Palmgarten was not going there. He does brand the miscreant Roberts a benevolent dictator, to which one counters, benevolent? Lee Elder finally broke the code in 1975. A black man earned the right to play in the Masters. He received death threats prior to the tournament, a dynamic that gets short shrift from Palmgarten. Appearance, tradition, order are not simply Robert's rules. Much support exists out there for this mindset. Again, witness the Trump election. And forget the staunch, hardcore crowd. This group is deplorable. The Trump apologists, rationalizers, tolerators, accommodationists are more concerning. This group would seem to downplay the, de the death threats. Palmgarten appeared to make no effort at all to address the racial animus that Tiger has faced in his dealings with Augusta National. Why is that, Nick? As for Roberts, he shot and killed himself with a 38 revolver near Ike's cabin on the hallowed grounds of Augusta National in 1977. No point in trying to rationalize suicide to any extent, but Cliff, as he vouched, did not live long after a black broke the code. As for the good cop, bad cop narrative that Nick seems to endorse regarding Roberts being the tough guy and Bobby Jones being the elevating face of the tournament, let's deconstruct a bit. Palmgarten makes character the issue with Tiger. Let's take more than Palmgarten's passing glance at Jones. Bobby sported anger and behavior issues from the get-go. He was notorious on the course for throwing clubs, cursing loudly, tearing up scorecards, quitting rounds, and acting very rudely towards spectators. In one instance, he threw a club that struck a woman in the leg and was issued this warning. You will not play again in a USGA event unless you control your temper. The British were on to him. He disliked the old course St. Andrews and at one point tore up his card and stormed off the course, leaving a hole unfinished and prompting this response from the press. Master Bobby is just a boy and an ordinary boy. Bobby Jones was a son of the South. While he was not Roberts, the poster boy racist, they were close. And when pressed on the issue of race, he did offer that blacks should be kept in their place. When asked to clarify further, he noted that he meant both economically and socially. Joe Posnanski does well to illuminate things with his piece in the Kansas City Star, 4605. The Ugly Chapter on Race and the Masters. My concern is his use of the word chapter, suggesting a, big, a beginning and an end that the issue might be closed. As for the sexual side of things, upon which our scrupulous, sanctimonious Nick Palmgarten skewers Tiger, nary a drop of detective work on Jones in this area. The good family man thing is about all we get for Bobby. The extended periods of time he spent out in Hollywood making instructional films on golf and hobnobbing with the glamorous celebrities and being every inch the world-class athlete in this arena gets no shrift from Nick. As for character, the, the, the Brit tabloids got it about right. Bobby was flawed like the rest of us. He wanted a championship-level course in the South as an escape from the pressured life he found himself in. The spectacular rise and success of the Masters at Augusta National was Robert's thing. Bobby was a good sport and cooperated some. In a, in a moment of candor, he confessed, championship golf is something like a cage. First, you are expected to get into it and then expected to stay. 
The narrative for why Jones remained an amateur and retired prematurely from playing the game at the highest levels was that he grew disenchanted with competitive golf. People seem to understand. The tabloid frenzy we now suffer with, uncovering every stone, had not yet arrived. The real reason, with only the slightest bit of research, does not add to the legend. Bobby was a nervous wreck, so fragile with the nerves. He ingested mass quantities of corn whiskey just to get through the majors. He'd had enough of the pressure. He could not handle it. We get it. Nick didn't so much as glance at this dimension of the Jones character. Which brings us to Palmgarten's treatment of Tiger Woods. The mythology of the Masters might, in Nick's presentation, be reduced to the idea of it being the pretense of perfection. Sure, the pretentiousness may be hard to swallow, but it can be done, digested, and one can bask in the near per perfection of these hallowed grounds in this event. Appearance, tradition, order. By contrast, his point seems to be that Tiger might have displayed something quite special in his game and that many admire him for it, even though they appear blind to the real Tiger, a corrupted individual. Such horseshit. The Bobby Jones v. Tiger Woods comparisons rendered or implied in Nick's piece do not generate much controversy. Had, had Tiger displayed one scintilla of the intemperate behavior Jones flaunted on the course, he would have been driven from the game. Had Bobby Jones faced a fraction of the pressure and scrutiny that Tiger has endured, there would be no story. The real comparison and contrast here is between Tiger Woods and the Masters. Nick knows it and is trying to parse this issue with his piece. The bottom line? Tiger is adored and esteemed to an extent far beyond that of the Masters. And this by the crowd who are seriously engaged in the game, as well as the, by the more casual fan. Nick seems to have real trouble with this fact. Question. What do you call 300 white men chasing a black man? Answer. The PGA Tour. The joke captures the rub and the nub. In this era, Tiger has owned the Masters. When he competes, the tournament comes alive. His every move, his pace, his club selection, his demeanor, etc., the subject of endless talk and attention. The galleries, made up of serious golf aficionados, are transfixed by him, will run hard, even those in their 70s, to get a glimpse. Are there Tiger detractors out there? Of course. Some are irked by him, by his presentation, by his popularity. Nick Palmgarten's piece in The New Yorker would seem to count him in this group. Are racism and jealousy factors? Do we have to ask? Nick trots out the usual comment heard from the Tiger detractors. It can seem weird how enthusiastically the golf world roots for Woods, even though so many of its citizens, especially the ones closest to the tour, aren't especially fond of him. Firstly, these world-class golfers are to a person an arrogant, prickly crew, for many reasons, and the ones most vocal in their Tiger disdain such as, such as Sergio Garcia, are widely considered nutty. Tiger has his share of close friends on tour, with an inside consensus that he has liked as much or as little as the others. Telling that Nick would go there. In what appears to be an effort to inject some fair-mindedness to Woods and a willingness to step on others' toes, he describes how sports writers 
described Phil Mickelson as the tour's reigning jerk. He overlooks Phil's frankly psychotic on-green display of chasing an errant putt and restriking a ball back towards the hole, or his involvement in a three-way insider trading scandal wherein his gambling debts lead him to illegal investments, resulting in long jail sentences for the other two, but Phil walking away unscathed. Nick shows no such discretion with Tiger. Using what I might call a Trumpian ploy of citing others as making a big deal out of this stuff, and he is simply repeating what others have been talking about, Nick interrupts his non-stop polish to the surface of the Masters to describe in detail what some sports writers have referred to as the pre- and post-hydrant era of Tiger. A reference to the night in 2009 when his now ex-wife, going through his phone, found out about one of his affairs and chased him out of the house, etc., etc., etc. Still Woods had been playing better and better since last year's Masters. After a decade in the weeds with injuries, most notably his back, on which he'd had four surgeries, painkiller addiction, the collapse of his marriage, and the subsequent sordid revelations of all the philandering that had occasioned it. From there, his life went off the rails. Do tell, Nick. Oh, he goes on. Not sure if Nick is being purient or puritanical or both. Again, reading what others have written about Tiger, he skips right to the dirty bits. I alighted on a section describing his serial infidelities of a decade ago and some text messages he'd sent to a porn star named Jocelyn James, the first of which read, Hold you down while I choke you and fuck that ass that I own. The rest were worse. This was the man whom everyone was roaring for. There was something Trumpian about it all, a suggestion not of redemption and forgiveness, but of indulgence or abandon. Really, Nick, the rest were worse? Who is this guy, Dudley Do-Right? Memo to Nick. Sex can get messy, untidy, sometimes even a little nasty. It can go there. Maybe not for you. And maybe not for the choir you seem to be preaching to. Maybe. I'm thinking that you might reconfigure JFK's autobiographical narrative, Profiles in Philandering, or not. Tiger's sexual patterns are not uncommon among powerful celebrities and do not set him apart from many of his peers on tour. Consider the case of the married Dustin Johnson. Dude, dude has been known to hit it hard and has slept with wives of at least two of his fellow golfers, colleagues he's played against. One marriage didn't survive. Dude has failed at least three drug tests and has been kicked off the tour for periods of time. How do his peers feel about him, Nick? Or maybe ponder the saga of the Greg Norman and Chrissy Everett families vacationing together with Greg and Chrissy hooking up, busting up the two marriages and embarking on a 15-month marriage before divorcing themselves. Greg and Chrissy moved on, no one hanging their head. I figure Nick must be stewing about it. Or not. What, what is Nick doing here going full throttle with the extensive, salacious tiger takes juxtaposed with the relentless purity of Augusta National? Let's pile on with Nick, citing Augusta Chairman Billy Payne, of all people, circa 2010. It's not simply the degree of his conduct that is so egregious here. It is the fact that he disappointed all of us, and more importantly, our kids and grandkids. Really? I especially love playing the historical card, courtesy of Master Payne. 
You've got to admire Nick throwing raw meat in here, bringing some tiger sexting into the mix. Fuck that ass I own. Whoa, this is sure to rile many. A man of color owning a white woman's ass. Sounds like he might be channeling Cliff Roberts' discrimination in reverse sentiment. Nice one, Nick. Featuring Tiger Woods' sexual travails as a centerpiece of your narrative of the mythology of the masters is a study in mendacity, a snow job, and utter trumpery. The Tiger has had to compete, excel, succeed, and dominate in a white man's world and and in a white man's game is a challenge not easily comprehended. I wish Nick parsed that one. The Tiger would employ an age-old strategy known in the psychological profession as identification with the aggressor to survive and strive in this world is almost expected. That he would date white women aggressively and serially comes as no shock. That he would be cozy with Trump is admittedly tough to stomach. But that doesn't make Tiger Trump. Nick seems to want to equate the two. After all, they both seem to cross the line sexually. No, 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 you pious, smug, self-righteous Palmgarten. I'm all in with the Me Too movement. If someone has broken the law, they should pay the price. Last time I looked, serial sexual relations was not illegal. Trump's patterns are another matter. Golf can be an amazing test of one's character. Contrast the grace under pressure that Tiger has displayed on the links with what Trump has displayed. Kicking a child's shot that landed on the green into the water where he shanked his and replacing the child's ball with his own, claiming it was his shot? Standard Trump golf play. Check out Rick Riley's commander in cheat. The reason you hear those roars shaking the grounds of the venerable Augusta as Tiger walks up the fairway at the Masters, Nick, is because of the character he has displayed in this tournament. It has been awe-inspiring. Well beyond the notable mark left by Bobby Jones, and one that gets right up in the face of the mythology of the Masters. Two things about Tiger and the Masters. Tiger as an entity in the world of golf and as a socio-cultural phenomena has grown bigger than the Masters and is more beloved. The Tiger persona has become mythic. Secondly, Tiger, a man of color, has to an extent not previously seen, demonstrated a mastery of this cunning, wily game and yes, has proven to be as close to a master as one might get at the hallowed grounds at Augusta National. Cliff Roberts will be perpetually turning over in his grave. And no, Palmgarten's efforts to highlight and restore a pristine image to the masters while attempting to take down Tiger Woods does not recast things. I'm not sure if it's Nick's capacity for forgiveness or his willful forgetting that animates his whitewashed narrative of the Masters Golf Tournament. The twisted ribbon metaphor, while aimed at Tiger, does not begin to capture the not-so-subtle, frankly offensive subtext that haunts these grounds. Targeting Tiger's sexual patterns is a worthy piece of Trumpian distraction. Something rancid has happened in the White House and has existed from the get-go at the core of Augusta National. Some token black membership from the 1990s does not undo this. There is no forgiving or forgetting. The titular Masters 
stands right up in the face of good sense and sensibility. This piece is a shank shot, shot, Nick. Take a mulligan. <laughs>